Welcome to the Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and with us today, we are going to be talking uh, teeth and jaws with Dr. Angela Osborne. Um, Dr. Angela is a general dentist trained as a cosmetic dentist in craniofacial sleep medicine, also known as sleep and breathing wellness. Uh, She has a private practice down in Lone Tree, Colorado for the last 20 years, as well as having two elementary school children and a wonderful husband. In her free time, she enjoys skiing, fishing, and traveling when she can. And we really appreciate her being here with us today to talk all things dentistry and sleep wellness. Welcome, Dr. Angela. Thank you for having me, Dr. Carly. Appreciate it. Well, so we always like to start to get to know our guests a little bit with asking, when was movement first fun for you? Let's see. I My first memory of movement would be learning to ride a bike about the age of four just that freedom of the wind blowing in your hair. <laughs> Nobody is holding you back. And once you get, get up on those two wheels and off you go, it's, it's just exhilarating. That's amazing. At four years old, I, I feel like it took me a lot longer to learn to ride a bike than that. That seems pretty early. I should actually ask my parents. <laughs> I, think, I think it's probably pretty early, but being the oldest child, you know, I probably got a lot of attention and you know, my dad was bound to get me to, to ride so we could go as a family. Wonderful. And is that general theme of, of freedom and movement something that still maintains for you today? Is that what okay. movement is? Absolutely. You know, from enjoying skiing and snowboarding with my kids, they, they do both, mm-hmm. um, and seeing them learn all these fun activities my son plays ice hockey so his movement is is very swift obviously yeah, definitely uh, and uh, alexis doing her gymnastics and see how her little body bends and moves and how she has figured out how to control herself so yeah it's 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 surrounding me all the time that's incredible and and so wonderful to see that freedom exist within your children and in each next generation finding out how they want to use their bodies as well exactly Wonderful. And then, so, so, you know, your career now is in quite a different place than bike riding. What inspired you into dentistry? So um, when I was 11, I had braces. So I had braces early and my dad was taking me um, to the orthodontist. um, And he said, you know, families in the future will need two incomes. So I fortunately had a stay at home mom. And so the role model to have a, have a, career was my father and being on our way to the orthodontist I started looking around and and going well you know I really like what my orthodontist is doing to my mouth putting my teeth in the right place and helping my face grow and um, just enjoyed that environment and so I thought well okay well maybe I'll be an orthodontist and then as I moved through school I went to dental school I discovered that orthodontists don't get to do the other parts of dentistry, and I enjoyed that too. So creating uh, beautiful smiles through veneers and smile design instead of just orthodontics, uh, I can do both. (laughs) 
So I do not have a specialty in ortho, but I enjoy clear aligners and creating that amazing smile for patients when it's all said and done and how they light up and their self-confidence boost is just exhilarating. It's, it's uh, very satisfying to see, and, that, see somebody happy. Well, and that's such a, a wonderful gift that I don't know how many of us really think about what, what our teeth and what our smiles say about ourselves as we go through the world. Um, it was very astute of you at such a young age to see, see that difference in yourself and, and want that to be a gift that you carry forward. Um, what, what impact did having your own orthodontia have on you in your childhood that it resonated that fully? Uh, my, fam my father had a career where we moved about every two years. Um, and so changing schools all the time, I felt like with my smile and my, um, actually I'm tall, so my height, I had all the <laughs> confidence um, to walk into a new school and make friends easily. You now my teeth were, were you know, straight and I kept them, at the time we didn't whiten, but I kept them mm -hmm. as clean and, and pretty as I could and just gave me self-confidence. You know, when yeah. you're changing your environment all the time, you have to be able to do that. And um, I felt like my smile led that way. That's wonderful. And to, to be able to go into all these different places, putting your best face forward, really, um, and taking that confidence with you so that you can make new friends all the time. I mean, that's a, that's a, a, big, a big difference in, in the way of doing life is knowing that you can smile and find your place. Correct. Yeah, I agree with you. Wonderful. And, and what I'm really curious to chat with you about, because I didn't know that this was an aspect of dentistry until um, you and I started chatting, um, but it's about uh, the sleep wellness part of your practice. Can you talk a little bit about how dentists can help with that? Okay, yes. So sleep and breathing wellness. This is very new in dentistry. Um, I'll give you a little history first. About 15 years ago, I trained on something called mandibular advancement uh, devices. And those were devices that simply bring the jaw forward in order to bring the tongue out of the throat to help those folks that uh, are struggling with CPAP or wanted an alternative to CPAP. And mm -hmm. then within the last couple of years, um, some new science has, has come to the forefront of our, of our business. And a training center was developed in Highlands Ranch. So luckily they're right here and I can go over and do any education mm -hmm. I need to right here in Highlands Ranch. And that um, Dr. Dave Singh, who is a research orthodontist, said, well, why in the world do people have sleep apnea? He started asking these questions and doing, doing research on um, the skulls and, and soft palate and tongue placement and what is going on with our population. So many people having being diagnosed with sleep apnea because it's no longer, you know, back when I was doing mandibular advancement devices, it was about, you know, big hefty person with the big neck and it was mm -hmm. because they were overweight that they had all this weight in their throat um, but that's why they had sleep apnea well that's not necessarily true it could be anybody of any size or shape and, and so what is it that as a sign of so what is it um that that starts to create that sleep apnea then then if it's not the general weight of tissue on the throat that we initially thought what is clogging those airways for everybody Right, so the weight definitely contributes. Mm -hmm. But if you have, you know, other people, even children have sleep apnea, you know, what's going on mm -hmm. here? And it has to do with the underdevelopment of the upper and lower jaw. Mm -hmm. And so he discovered that in our culture, our Western culture, we have not allowed our maxilla, which is the upper jaw, 
to grow big enough. And so the maxilla, for those that don't know, include the roof of the mouth and the upper teeth, the sinuses, the floor of the orbits, the cheekbones, and back to the TNJ. So when that bone is restricted from growing when we're children, then the soft palate where your uvula is and your tongue, because your mandible is trapped behind the upper jaw, right? We don't mm -hmm. walk around with our jaws sticking way out the up front. Some people do, and that's okay. But um, so when the mandible is stuck behind the upper jaw, then the tongue doesn't have anywhere to go. The only place it can go is into the airway. And what's behind the airway is the spine. So there's no other place for the air to go. Um, so essentially that smaller maxilla is creating um, a reduced amount of space, but we still have to have the same amount of tissue. We still have to have all of our tonsils and tongue and throat and aspect, some right. almost fitting into a smaller box. That's exactly right. And the way Dr. Singh describes it is your mouth is a garage and you're trying, your tongue is an SUV and you're trying to put <laughs> a great big SUV inside this little garage meant for, you know, maybe a, a sports car or something. <laughs> Compact yeah. car parking only. <laughs> exactly. So, he said, well, okay, what can we do about this? He goes, how do we make, we know the maxilla is too small. If you go back and look at the anthropology studies, people 400 years ago had bigger maxillas. They had all 32 teeth. They, we suppose, did not have sleep apnea, although we can't test for that. Um, but they didn't have the um, clinical signs of having the small skeletal system of the mouth. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. So he said, okay, how do we make that bigger? So he de developed a device that actually will grow the palate. It will oh, really? grow the maxilla. So not just a palate expander like our kids have, which is great, by the way. Both mm -hmm. of my kids have had palate expanders. But for the adult, now, when I was trained 25 years ago, once you were past the age of 14 to 18, there was no expansion of the upper arch. That couldn't be done. Dr. Singh has figured out how to do it. Um, this appliance uh, looks a lot like a kid's retainer after braces, but it has all these great little springs that stimulate the stem cells that live in the, around the teeth and down the suture of the middle of the palate. And so when those stem cells are activated, they wake up and we're at that point, we can stretch the palate and then the bone will rebuild and we stretch and rebuild and stretch and rebuild. And we have seen people go from this tiny little arch with this soft tissue all back in the throat to a great big wide arch, even creating spaces between the teeth, which by the way is where my cosmetic dentistry comes in because I can fix that later. <laughs> but the goal here is to make sure people are able to sleep and breathe so their body will rejuvenate at night. If your body doesn't rejuvenate at night, then we're going to go down the road of the inflammatory diseases. Your body mm -hmm. can't clear itself of all of the um, inflammation that is occurring because you're, you're not resting well enough to rejuvenate. Yeah. It's that deep REM sleep that really allows us to go through cellular repair. But to the point of the sleep apnea you were making before is we have to have enough oxygen to go through that cellular repair and still dive into that deep sleep without constantly waking ourselves up with gasping. And I guess we kind of went on a little bit of assumption that most people know what sleep apnea is at this point. It's so very widespread. But just for, for anyone who doesn't know, um, sleep apnea is um, 
what I would almost call a phenomenon, but it's a condition wherein because of um, obstruction to the throat, either from the, the trachea itself or the tongue or other tissues obstructing that airway, um, individuals are waking up essentially gasping for air and they might not wake up enough to be cognitively awake and see around them, but it disrupts that sleep. And this can happen, well, I'll, I'll defer to you, the, the frequency at which some of these sleep apnea episodes can occur throughout the night. How often do people wake up with this? Okay, so um, we do a home sleep study to get a baseline for our patients, mm -hmm. and it will come back with a score. And that score will tell me how many times a night or how many times an hour a patient stops breathing for more than 10 seconds. I have seen them low. We want it below five. Okay. That's, e that's even mild sleep apnea, but we want it below five. I have seen, I have seen it as high as 120. 120 times an hour. An hour. A patient has stopped breathing for more than 20, for more than 10 seconds at a time. So that's almost every single breath. Oh, yes almost mm -hmm. every breath, twice a minute. And so you can imagine that patient is not recovering at night at all. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're not getting any sleep. Their body's not rejuvenating at night. They're exhausted. They may fall mm -hmm. asleep um, driving, um, watching their favorite TV show, doing mm -hmm. any number of things. And that's very, very dangerous. And what are other health concerns that can spin out from um, not getting adequate rest? I know that we've talked about inflammatory disorders um, and diseases, um, but what about, I think that we've chatted before about anxiety and, and mood affect or even attention. Um, how are those impacted by lack of sleep? Right, so anxiety and depression very well could be re related to poor sleep quality. Um, ADHD, there are some scientists that go so far that say ADHD, ADD may not really exist. It may be sleep deprived people, especially children. So mm -hmm. here we are trying to give all of these children pharmaceuticals for ADHD, when in reality, they probably just aren't sleeping very well. So some of these, um, Studies, they've taken children diagnosed with ADHD and children diagnosed with sleep-deprived disorders, put them together and had other researchers evaluate them. They can't tell them apart. Mm -hmm. So what is that saying? We, you know, why are, you know, we're giving our children all these pharmaceuticals. What is that going to be like when they're adults? You know, mm -hmm. we're, can we get away from that? And if we can, that's fabulous. Let's, let's grow their little mouths and get that tissue mm -hmm. and soft tissue out of their throats. Snoring for children is not normal. Snoring for adults isn't normal. <laughs> uh, we Maybe common, but not normal. A theme exactly. we talk about yes. a lot. <laughs> yes. Common, but not normal. The other things that um, may be related to uh, sleep apnea or sleep disorders are things like heart disease. Mm. Uh, How so? Alzheimer's. So when your body goes to sleep at night, you want to be able to breathe through your nose. Your nose generates nitric oxide. Now this wasn't even discovered until 1996, according to the research. Nitric oxide, not nitrous, that's different. <laughs> nitric <laughs> oxide. Not the laughing gas. <laughs> yes, right. That our nose and sinuses generate when we are able to breathe through our nose is an antimicrobial 
and a vasodilator. So our blood vessels will dilate and let the blood flow through our body more regularly and evenly at night and help your body rid itself of the cholesterols and the triglycerides and the things that need to come out of our system, right? Because mm-hmm. we have these nice wide vessels due to the nitric oxide. Exactly. So if you're not breathing through your nose and you're breathing through your mouth, you're breathing cold, dirty, unpurified air, uh, unmoist- you know, not getting any moisture, and that's going straight to your lungs. So that's not good for your lungs either. Mm-hmm. So we need to get the tongue to the roof of the mouth, which for children causes the palate to grow, causes that maxilla to grow, and they're breathing through their nose. Less likely to get sick, getting better rest. So we need to do that mm-hmm. for all age groups, not just children, but for adults too. Now the adult is not going to grow with just the tongue and the roof of the mouth, but it definitely will improve their sleeping. Well, and what I like about discussing this idea about the maxilla and how it grows is it's getting down to the root of what a lot of these issues can be. Um, when we talk about sleep apnea and we're, we're really grateful to have tools like a CPAP machine, but oh, essentially, absolutely. yeah, I mean, especially if you're, you know, not breathing or if you're having these episodes 120 times in an hour, that can be a life-saving intervention. But I believe what the research has shown is that over time, because it is a, a passive intervention, um, it's not strengthening anything. It's not helping you to improve your condition of CPAP. It's helping to mitigate the symptoms of it. And as a matter of fact, with very long-term use of CPAP, the condition may get worse. How's that? Uh, well, you know, there's app I have not found, and the training center also has not mm-hmm. found any research that um, shows the long-term effects of CPAP. Mm-hmm. But we do know mm-hmm. that the sleep apnea can get worse over that mm-hmm. time. Over time. So what what the researchers are telling us is that use of the CPAP causes the soft palate to get less toned, mm. even more relaxed. And so the tissue just falls back on all on its own. And, and we, what we want to do with our appliance is try to tone that tissue. Mm. And there are other devices. There is a laser that we can use to tone the tissue, not cut away the tissue, mm-hmm. help, help bring it up and forward. Um, so there's a lot of modalities to this to try to mm-hmm. help patients. But um, I'm never, ever going to take a CPAP away from a patient. That mm-hmm. is what their sleep physician prescribed for them. We're going to stay with it. We can still do our treatment while they're wearing their CPAP. And I have several patients who are doing that. At mm-hmm. some point, when we get enough growth, we will retest them with the permission of the sleep physician and see how, how we're progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a number of cases done by my colleagues here in town. I have not been treating patients long enough to get to that point where I'm retesting my patients, but a number of patients that are now off their, off their CPAP. That's fantastic. Grow the maxilla big enough, release the jaw to come forward. Mm-hmm. All that soft tissue is out of the throat. Well, and I think, um, and, and it's so amazing, and I love, I love interventions in care that allow for improvement so that we can use the symptom management as long as we need it, but then slowly lessen our, our dependency on it over time. 
Um, but when we're talking about how the CPAP over time may soften the tissue of the palate, and we're talking about the strength of the maxilla, I think it's time to do a little bit of an anatomy deep dive into how does our maxilla and, and the arch of our mouth really grow and get strong? I mean, am I just you know, lucky enough to be born with a strong head? I, I mean, I'm told I have a hard head. I mean, is that, does that same thing? Am I good? <laughs> right. So it, it starts um, with birth. So the, this is the, these are the anthropology studies and the embryology and growth studies that show that in our society, starting 400 years ago, the Industrial Revolution, that we don't, as mothers, and I'm a mom of two, I'm a working mom of two. I could not spend a year, two years, three years nursing my child. Mm -hmm. So in those studies, the Aboriginal or native um, communities that have moms that nurse their children for many, many years, those children grow up to have nice wide arches and all 32 teeth straight and in position because as the child nurses, the, the baby's not only getting the benefit of the nutrients from the mother, but the suction and the use of the muscles cause the baby's base to grow. Mm -hmm. So when we nurse, um, the baby's muscles actually have to work really hard. And you know um, Newton's law of the forces being equal on both sides, the child trying to get the, the milk from the mother, creating that suction also is pulling the face forward. Mm -hmm. So they're getting a little, a little muscle workout every time they're nursing. Absolutely. And muscles mm -hmm. win over bones. So they're going to help shape those bones. Mm -hmm. and as the child transitions to a diet in our society, we go to the baby foods. They're all soft, squishy, melt in the mouth. The baby no longer has to work to get the nutrients. So um, the native nations or countries or communities, I should say, go to straight to a hard diet. So those babies get raw broccoli, they get beef jerky, they get raw carrots. And if they have nursed long enough, their muscles and face are strong enough and big enough that, we, that they don't worry about choking. Mm -hmm. Our babies in our, in our Western civilization have um, a weak tongue, sometimes a reverse swallow, and those babies tend to choke if we give them something solid. So it, it, it's something that um, moms really need to decide the family mm -hmm. needs to decide how they're going to move forward in helping their child develop. I couldn't nurse my children that long. And now I'm in a, in a position that my children are underdeveloped. And I am using the, the Vivo's children's appliances to help my children grow right now. They're six and nine. I still have many years to try to help them grow naturally before we go to braces. Um, they both have palate expanders through the orthodontist, which has been great and helpful. But now that I have these other appliances, they just wear them at night and they look like mm -hmm. the mouth guards to help them grow. Well, and I think that's a really helpful tool. I mean, because we do have to look at none of this happens within a vacuum and the impact of working mothers trying to nurse. And, you know, I, I had, um, to me, that was some of the most stressful part of going back to work was trying to, to nurse my daughter as long as I could and the impact on my patient care and my sleep. And it's just, it's not something that is wildly sustainable for everybody and maybe quite impossible for others. Exactly. And, and so the discussion here isn't necessarily to say there is one thing that is necessarily good or 
you know, better or worse, but to say, this is how our anatomy works. And, and we're really grateful that we have tools and resources to support children at a very young age. I think you said three years old is when you can start using these devices. Um, so at a very young age, we can have an intervention for, um, for an issue that was created from a very multifaceted place. Absolutely. Um, but that, that is certainly more helpful than just wondering why, why is my three-year-old snoring? Why is my three-year-old gasping? Um, something that has fascinated me in becoming a mother and having these really great conversations with knowledgeable people on the podcast is how much work really goes into, you know, you think well, my mother always called my daughter a burrito with a head. She's just wrapped up and laying there, you know, when she was three days old, four days old, but this deep intricate work of building muscles, it's not just about learning to lift your head and then roll over and having this freedom of movement, but also training your tongue, which I believe is the, the strongest muscle for size within the whole body. And that is a workout when you're coming from, you know, freshly born, having all of your fluids come through, not even your mouth, but your umbilical cord. You know, we have to train and strengthen. These little kiddos are running a marathon for the first year. They are, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and learning to manipulate all that. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense then, I think it's worth talking just a little bit about how, you know, we talk about why it's, it's specifically breastfeeding, not necessarily bottle feeding that creates that workout. That, that pushes and strengthens the jaw, lifts it up and open, um, because bottle feeding is often quite a bit more passive for the kiddos, not, yeah. not unlike the purees in that sense, right? Yeah, correct. So you take your bottle and you turn it upside down and the milk just flows out. The child doesn't have to work to get it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, numerous bottle companies have tried and tried and tried to, you know, duplicate that suction and mm -hmm. it hasn't happened yet. But when they get it, that's going to be fantastic for all of our dental work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. But you can see that, you know, as children, like my daughter, her two little lower front teeth are now adult teeth. The baby teeth mm -hmm. fell out, and they're stacked one on top of the other. Mm -hmm. So her little jaw is just too small. So, you know, using the, the little kid's mouthpiece, I'm trying to get, she only wears it at night. Mm -hmm. um, it trains her tongue to be in the roof of her mouth, trains her to breathe through her nose through the night. So she gets all those benefits that we've already talked about and um, will widen those arches over time. Now she's only been in it about four weeks. Um, I'm taking photographs so I can see her development. Um, but I've already noticed that she's having more spacing between her upper teeth. So I'm hoping those lower teeth will start to unravel too and, and be straighter as she grows. Wonderful. So when we're looking at our kids, um, as I know parents are going to start opening mouths and seeing what's going on here with, with excuse me, with their kids, it's, we're looking for some space between the teeth, like that oh, yeah. there's more than enough room in there. Oh, absolutely. You want, you want baby teeth to have spaces between them. That is, mm -hmm. that is great. That's what we want. It means that chances are their tongue's in the roof of the mouth and the maxilla is growing nice and big and they can breathe with their lips closed through the nose. That is mm -hmm. exactly what we want. You know, little baby teeth that are crowded, which is what my daughter has. Baby teeth mm -hmm. are crowded. She's underdeveloped. She is six and a half. She looks like she's about three. Um, mm. They even say that growth hormone is not as uh, productive in children that breathe through their mouths. 
So again, you know, because that, of that, that nitric oxide, oxide trigger. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I can see it in my own daughter. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm so glad that you, I mean, especially right down there um, in Highland Ranch, having these devices and the research is coming out to support it. Um, because it certainly is a wonder to look at um, skulls and, and dental work from, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years ago, where presumably there was no orthodontia. And, and yet all of these teeth are straight and, and without any assistance. So there's certainly a reason why and to have the tools to unravel that reason is, is quite a gift. It is. And now a lot of people will say, well, isn't it genetic? I look just like my mm -hmm. mother or I look, you know, my mother looks like my grandmother and hence I look like them too. And that's why I have mm -hmm. the geneticists say it takes 27,000 years to have a manipulation in the genes to cause something like this to be in 50% of the population. 27,000 mm -hmm. years. We know this has happened in just a few generations within 400 years. So something in our society, as we've talked about, has, has been a culprit to this, mm -hmm. uh, this phenomenon. Um, but it's just fascinating to know that we can do something about it. Yeah. That we have a dental solution to a medical problem. And um, now we are very early adapters in this device. There are only about a thousand of us as dentists worldwide trained to do this right now. So we are, you know, very early in this, um, in this, in this great system. And uh, I look forward to seeing how my patients develop. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be really cool as this system develops and, and the research comes along with it to see all of, all of the aspects of health that are really impacted. Because as you and I know, and we'll, we'll do the best to, to share here without diagrams and pictures, um, you know, this, this maxilla that, that Dr. Angela is talking about through the roof of your mouth and out to your ears, of course, that's the floor of our sinuses as well. And if that doesn't open and grow, the spaciousness of our sinuses are impacted. So then we can talk about things like chronic sinus infections or hay fever or just not having enough room to breathe through the nose. Okay. And, then, and then additionally, it's impacting the space around our ears which our ear canal goes you know, externally through our ear and then uh, drains into the back of our throat. And when there isn't enough space for that to have movement and freedom, now we're talking about chronic ear infections, hearing loss, um, and, and things of that nature. So there is a whole wide world of where the strength and movement of our face and jaw has such a big impact in ways that we don't really expect. You're exactly right, Carly. Dr. <laughs> Singh calls those functional spaces. So mm -hmm. your sinuses and the space around your TMJ, your joint, and your ears, um, even your cranium is a functional space. And I hope so. Yeah, and <laughs> fit. All, all of the soft tissue needs to fit in those areas. Yeah. So, you know, talking about patients that exhibit severe TMJ, as I have learned this information over the last year and looked at my patient pool and those patients that are considering jaw surgery because of TMJ pain, I now see why they have TMJ pain. That maxilla is too small. And the mandible is basically crammed backwards, you mm -hmm. know, up against the, the floor of the, the skull where it's supposed to fit, but there's no space for it to move because it's trapped behind these upper, you know, these upper teeth. Mm -hmm. And so if you make the maxilla bigger and wider and move those teeth out of the way, 
that mandible is free to move forward and frees up the functional space for the joint, the TMJ joint. Um, and that should and will resolve much of their discomfort. And have so many far-reaching effects when you start talking about what nose breathing can do for the rest of our health and wellness and positive affect. Right, right. Oh, that's fantastic. So how would, we, we've talked a little bit about the, the crowded baby teeth um, being one for parents to look at their kiddos and see. Um, but what would, if someone's kind of listening to this and going, yeah, but is it me? Um, what are some, some basic screenings that maybe people should think about to wonder if their jaw is too small or if they are suffering from some of these episodes of sleep apnea perhaps? So of course, um, when we're looking at sleep apnea, we, we wanna know what, if, does a patient wake up groggy? Does a patient wake up foggy headed? Are there memory issues? Um, those are very basic you know, signs and symptoms that something is going on. But, but clinically looking at the mouth, crowded teeth, um, if, you look, if they look at their tongue, if you stick your tongue out looking at the mirror and it's scalloped, like, like it's been pushed against the teeth and has these ridges all along. I have one patient who literally chews on her tongue and her mouth is so small and her tongue you know, the genetics say, oh, the tongue is going to be this size, even though the garage is small. Mm -hmm. So where's the tongue going to go? And it's pushing into her teeth. And so the ridges on her tongue, um, patients, once you start thinking about it, they're like, yeah, I've always felt like my tongue was too big. No, it's the housing that it's in. It's too small. Mm -hmm. So feeling that the tongue or cheek biting, my daughter, again, bites her lips and cheeks almost every meal she eats. Mm -hmm. So um, soft tissues getting in there in the way. Uh, so the crowded teeth, uh, feeling like your tongue is too big, um, the snoring, the spouse telling you that you snore, the spouse <laughs> doing well either. Um, are those those are the things that that somebody can uh, kind of evaluate themselves and say, you know, mm -hmm. I need to talk to my physician about this, or talk to your dentist about it. Yeah. Well, they should be able to give guidance as to what the next steps would be. I, I would recommend, you know, a home sleep study and see what the quality of sleep is. We have to put all the pieces together. Um, it's not just the clinical. It's not just the sleep study. We also have a 3D scan we look at so we can see the volume, what the airway volume is. We have to have all these pieces together to create the right diagnostics um, for the physician so they can uh, diagnose sleep apnea. Dentists cannot diagnose sleep apnea. We have to have our mm -hmm. physicians do that. But once we know that that patient needs intervention, then we're here to help. That's wonderful. And I think there is something to be said too when you mentioned earlier that, you know, patients will say, you know, my mother had a small jaw, my grandmother had a small jaw, and this general generational aspect of it. Um, and when you speak to, um, you know, that our genes aren't going to change in the course of two or three generations, or even going back 400 years, maybe five generations, um, 
or more, is that um, we, we behaviorally do what the generation before us does. I mean, I routinely hear in my office that, well, my mother breastfed, so I'm breastfeeding, and that is just what my family does. Or I was bottle-fed, so I'm good. My, my kid's going to be bottle-fed. That's just what my family does. And that I think more than the genetics of what is deep in our DNA, what we really need to be looking at are the family patterns that we exhibit. You know, it, my, I had baby food, my mother had baby food. I ate hard food, my mother had hard food. It's really that community driven aspect as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, um, you know, society too. I, you know, my mother and I have talked about this. My mother was, um, born in the 40s, and at that time, right after World War II, um, if you could afford formula, you were seen as a higher status in society because mm -hmm. you could afford formula. Well, that's not what the baby needs to develop those muscles, right? We've already talked about mm -hmm. that. Um, but it was a society thing. Yeah. So I was born and my mother gave me formula, but my father was in Vietnam and she wasn't comfortable um, nursing me in her mother and father's home. So, mm -hmm. you know, I too have, you know, the, the smaller mm -hmm. jaws and will be treating myself. Uh, there's an aspect of this we haven't talked about and it's a little bit touchy, um, orthodontics. Mm -hmm. So our orthodontist, as lovely as I think they are, and they do a fabulous job, have a tendency to retract teeth. So- What does that mean so to retract them? Never, and remember, I wanted to be an orthodontist, right? Mm -hmm. So I never in my life thought about what having braces meant. Braces, you're bracing the teeth. So they tend to brace a growing child and hold the teeth back. Hmm. So we're trying to get the word out that we want to expand and grow everything. Don't take teeth out and pull teeth back because we've been told, I was told by my orthodontist, Hey, her mouth is small. Her teeth are big. We're going to have to take teeth out. It won't all fit. Mm -hmm. So we took teeth out. That's what my mom and dad were told to do. So we did that. And yes, I do have a lovely smile and I am very proud mm -hmm. of it. But now I too have a sleep issue because mm -hmm. everything was pulled back and that soft tissue is now back in my throat. So now my goal is to create all that space again and pull everything out. Granted, I will have to redo some of the orthodontics, but it will be expansive orthodontics, not mm -hmm. reactive orthodontics. So well, it's hard to get some of our colleagues on board because this is so new and it's a shift in our thinking, but we're going to get there. We're going to get there. there mm -hmm. There's evidence that this is, this is working. Well, and I think it, it speaks to different ideologies of interventional healthcare. And there is certainly a very long time um, and to hear in, in dentistry and orthodontia, but as well as traditional medicine. And that is uh, an assumption that perhaps your body was mismanaged um, during construction, that your, your jaw is too small, your teeth are too big. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and so it is something that needs to be removed because you got a, a defective part. Um, rather than looking at this really holistic approach that says, you know, why, why are these pieces not fitting together when, you know, for hundreds and thousands of years with very rare, there are 
absolutely congenital exceptions to oh, the yeah. rule. You know, we, we are not all born, you know, exactly to, to factory specifications, but to say now that it is, oh, oh you told me at one point the percentage of children in orthodontia um, these days. Oh, in our society, it's probably 70%. That seventy so that seventy percent of our children are being born. I'm not speaking, Carly. I'm not. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not sure okay. of that percentage. But but a a more than half of our children are born with um with jaws and teeth that don't match. That certainly doesn't um, match our understanding of what a true congenital um, dysfunction looks like. And to know that there are a lot of tools or that there are growing tools and a growing body of evidence to suggest that we can grow and strengthen and change and be expansive. Um, I really loved your choice of language with that we're doing expansive orthodontia, that we are creating more space to house the tissues and the tongue and all the teeth. Um, you know, we were born with just as many as we were supposed to have. Yes, we, this is the way we were made. We should try yeah. to all those parts if we can. Yeah, and it, and you're right. It is it is a, a sensitive because this is new information, and and it is certainly with loving respect that we're all just doing the best we can with the information that we have. Um, I had I went through my fair share of orthodontia, uh, pulling teeth forward, yanking things sideways, left right. Um, my mouth was so small. You're you're on my medical list for sure. Um, that my mouth was so small that two of my teeth. Um, were actually behind. I could. I had a good little chipmunk look to me um, <laughs> to have to to pull everything forward. And my parents invested so much time and money um, into making sure that I have a nice, clean smile here. And, and it it's <laughs> well, thank you. And and it's doing the best we have with the information in front of us. And there's always new information coming out. Yes, there is. Um, you know, can I go back a second? You know, we were talking mm -hmm. about um, what patients could look at themselves or their children. Mm -hmm. One big one is teeth grinding. We didn't talk mm -hmm. about that. Oh, yeah. So I remember about eight years ago, I was sitting in a course at um, the American Academy of uh, Cosmetic Dentistry, and the gentleman speaking was saying, we believe that teeth grinding is now due to sleep apnea. So if you're grinding your teeth, you're bringing your jaw forward to get the tongue out of the back of the throat. And I also remember thinking, no, that can't be. That's not what I was trained. You know, I was trained <laughs> to grind our teeth because they don't match up just right. That's, and sure enough, that is exactly what people do. Mm -hmm. You bring the jaw forward, grind the teeth in order to keep that airway open. This so all of that's something to really look at. You know, mm -hmm. for patients, they, they hear their spouse grinding their teeth or their children. Um, or they see the evidence of the wear on the teeth. So mm -hmm. that's, that's another point that I announced earlier. Um, and it certainly starts to tie this grand story together about a lot of little incidental findings that ne wouldn't necessarily, you know, put up a red flag for anybody to say, oh, I, I have to go change this. I have scallops on my tongue. Um, or I think another one that we talked about um, in, in another meeting, the two of us, is about drooling. Um, open, open mouth breathing at night and the puddle of drool, the ocean of drool, and the snoring. These are all just, oh, yes, that's what my spouse, my partner, my child does, and I, I love them for being adorable anyway. And instead, now it's a bunch of evidence all pointing towards one, um, one issue that we have a tool to help resolve. 
And that could be a really powerful observation. I agree. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, so I think we talked a little bit about what success looks like then um, when we talk about this idea of expansive movement of the jaw versus bracing movement of the jaw, which again is just a, another device that is supporting and in a sense almost weakening some of those muscles as well because we're not getting that movement. Um, but anything that you would like to add to what success looks like when we start to change our view on what the maxilla is supposed to look like and how to encourage its growth? Um, so, you know, we'll use our tools, you know, as, mm -hmm. as we go forward. Um, so I have certain measurements that I'm looking for and expansive um, of, the, of the maxilla. But some of the things that we have, we, we have seen are um, even uneven eyes. Mm. Some patients, you know, when we take our photographs, you'll see their eyes are uneven. And when we get through our transformation of growing that maxilla, that has evened out. Increased size of the cheekbones. Um, going back to our sleep study, we're going to look to have that score. Remember, we talked there was extremes at 120. We want people to be down below five. Now, some of those folks aren't going to make it that far since they're so far on the other mm -hmm. end. Um, so my goal is to make sure that, that we get as close to five or below as we can. Um, the, as the palate expands and the maxilla grows, the space between the teeth um, across the palate, called transpalatal width, is going to increase and the palate's going to come down. So I'm watching for all of these things. Um, I'm hoping to have spacing between the teeth. Again, that's something that I can correct cosmetically, but the goal is to make sure that the patient is sleeping and breathing well enough to avoid those inflammatory diseases later in life. Cosmetic mm -hmm. part, I can fix that later. And I make sure I tell everybody that, you know, mm -hmm. most of us have braces, or a lot of us did, and have this great smile, small garage, but we're gonna make space, and then we're going <laughs> to expand it all and close all those spaces. Wonderful. Uh, but the uh, first goal being that quality of health and quality of sleep. Yes. And patients are telling me, I had a patient the other day, we just started her appliance. Just started her appliance. She says she can't tell me how much better she already feels by having her, you know, her appliance in, the jaws a little bit forward, and she's starting to expand, that she wakes up in the morning and she's rested. She said, I have not felt this way in 40 years. Wow. She's, she's, an, she's an older gal um, in her early 70s, and she's telling me she feels better. She walks with a cane. So her goal is to be able to walk her dog without her cane. So that's what we're going for. And when she tells me that, that's success. Yeah. And it's... And, you, and it seems like those two things aren't connected, but from everything you've said before, and that we know that if you are unable to get a good night's sleep, that's going to affect your cognitive ability and the way you think and feel and see yourself in space is going to affect your muscle strength um, and then that coordination. So there is no reason why better breathing, better cognition through better sleep could ultimately change the way she walks and moves through life. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. She says she has not slept well in over 40 years. Wow. Uh, oh, what a gift to have that already. That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so, so you're here in South Denver. How do people find, um, you said there's not a lot of you. So how do people find dentists like you across the country? 
So um, Vivos has a website called vivoslife.com and um, you can put in your zip code and start looking for, for a dentist that is qualified to provide this treatment. Um, there are, I want to say about 20 of us in Colorado now. So nice. that's fantastic. We kind of go across the state. Um, there are some states where we don't have treatment yet. So that, mm-hmm. that's, uh, we're hoping to get everybody educated so that we can provide this treatment worldwide. Fantastic. And, and for people who um, are kind of thinking about that, it might be a little bit of a trek to go work with this device. Um, is this like you need to go in every week and have it tweaked and change? Oh, what's, no. the, what's the visit like? So the protocol, it, it takes a little while to get the clients back from the lab because there's a lot mm-hmm. of work to do. Um, but once we have it back, it takes six to eight weeks to get it back. First delivery is an hour. And we just want the patient to make friends with it. <laughs> it's it's um it, it's a, it's a little intrusive in the mouth. It's a little big, but once they make friends with it, I'll see them the next week, and we'll talk about how to start activating the appliance to create that growth. And then I don't see patients except for every six or eight weeks, unless unless mm-hmm. they're struggling with something. Okay, so this is really a you're you're at home and and doing the work yourself. And then checking in for, for guidance and redirection as necessary. As I tell the patients, it's 50% you. You have to wear it for it to work. It's biomimetic. You have to wear it. And mm-hmm. then 50% me, adjusting it and making sure that things are going in the direction we want them to go. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing so much amazing information and really fascinating research about, about the teeth and the jaw. Um, and... Um, and, and thank you for your time today, Dr. Osborne. Oh, thank you for having me. It's delightful to talk to you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us all for another episode of the Healing Ground Movement, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.